Uh, who's ever played the game Finish the Lyric? Have you guys ever played Finish the Lyric? All right, Finish the Lyric, if you don't know what it is, it's pretty simple. Okay, you play a song. Uh, you usually have a timer. We don't have a timer today. Uh, but you, you play a song, and you're trying to guess what the song is uh, as fast as you can. So to start off, we're going to uh, play that game today. And let's see how fast you guys can do this. I'm, I, I'm not going to sing, uh, so sorry. But, well, it's, it's not singing. It's just, you'll see. All right, here we go. Ready? Uh, I want you guys to shout it out, all right? I want you guys to join as I, as I start doing it. All right, ready? The B.I. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, the B-I-B-L-E. Of course, you guys know that song. If you guys were in Kidsman or in Iwana, uh, you know the B-I-B-L-E, which says that, hey, that's, that's the book for me, and that's what I'm going to stand on. And uh, while that's a, right, we don't sing that song here in the Narrow, we uh, sing that song in Kidsman and Iwana, but you guys know that song. And while it's a kid's song, I think it communicates truth, something that's it's really true, that the book that we hold in our laps and that you have in your phone is a unique book, that it's a special type of book, that uh, there is no other book like it. The Bible uh, is unique in, in, in what it is, but also in what it can do and what it can accomplish. No other book does something to you of this manner. And so the book we hold is, is different. It's, uh, it's, it's unique, but also the Bible can change your life. The Bible is the only book that can change your life to this uh, amount. And I know you've probably, a lot of you here have grown up at our church, and we're Compass Bible Church. We talk about the Bible. We preach the Bible. And so maybe uh, you, you go to the narrow, right? So you've heard it's all about the Bible. The Bible is where we get our information from. And so maybe it's like, yes, it's, okay, there's another sermon about the Bible, does the Bible really change you? Maybe you're thinking, I've tried to read my Bible before, and uh, my small group leader has asked me, hey, how was your Bible reading? And I just respond, hey, I tried to read it, but I don't know, it just doesn't work. I don't, maybe you don't verbally express this, but you really think that, hey, I don't know if the Bible does change me because it's, I've tried it before and nothing's, nothing's happening. I don't see it. I don't really believe that. I don't, uh, I don't understand how so, so many people are so into the Bible. I, I don't understand it. I've tried it before. But the Bible can radically change our lives. Uh, January 14th today. Okay, we're 14 uh, days into the new year. And we've been talking about how to be wise uh, people here in, in the narrow. And the wisest thing that we can do is to get into our Bibles in 2024. That's the best thing we can do. That's, that should be the highest priority. The highest priority for us here in the narrow should be two things. To know God and to grow, to know God, and to grow in godliness. And so how are we going to do that? Well, that has to be through the Bible. So you won't be wise, you won't know God, you won't grow in godliness and holiness if we are not looking at the book, if our eyeballs are not on the biblical text. And so I want all of us to resolve to read our Bibles in 2024. That's the goal. If you're someone that makes resolutions, this should be the highest priority on your uh, on your resolution list, that I want to read my Bible this year. God wants that to be included. And so I want us to get serious about Bible reading. And so with that, if you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
We're going to pick up in verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And maybe if you're in Awana, 2 Timothy 3, huh? I've heard of that. I don't know what verse it is, but I think it's verse 16. And you'll recognize it. These uh, verses are familiar, but you probably don't know verses 14 through uh, 15. And we'll talk about that right now. But a little bit about this letter. Timothy, although it's called 2 Timothy, Timothy is not the one that's actually writing it. It's Paul writing to Timothy. And if you know anything about their relationship, Paul was like uh, his, uh, the one that was discipling Timothy. Uh, Paul was like, imagine it was like he's uh, his small group leader. And Timothy was his disciple, his uh, small group student. And here, uh, the context is that Paul is uh, in prison. He's in Roman prison and he's about to die. This is actually his last letter that he writes to uh, in, in any, uh, any part of his life. He's about to die. And so this is his last words. And so think about that. Imagine your small group leader is in prison because he's talking about the gospel. And he's writing a letter to you specifically. What is your small group leader going to say to you? It's interesting that he points out the Bible is the most essential thing for you right now, Timothy. And in Timothy's world, there was a lot of false teaching going around. Uh, society was getting worse. The people were getting deceived. If you glance at verse 13, it says that people were getting deceived there. And they themselves were deceived. And so that's where we pick up in verse 14. It says, but as for you, Timothy. So he says, hey, don't be like these people that are getting deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Okay, so there's something that he's learned and that he's placed his trust into. Knowing from who you learned it. So if you go to chapter 1, it says that his grandmother Lewis and his uh, mother Eunice were the ones that were teaching him the Bible. And so Timothy, ever since he was a baby, uh, learned the Bible. And so he says, hey, continue in what you've learned about Scripture and how from childhood, and that word childhood actually means infancy. So since he was a baby. So that's like a lot of you here. A lot of you grew up here at church. You were in Awana. You were in Kidsman. And so Timothy was the same way. And he says, hey, since you were a baby, you have been acquainted, that means to be familiar with, with the sacred writings. Sacred, that means holy. With the holy writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, hey, Timothy, you got saved because of the scriptures. And says, continue in that. Now here, if you're in Awana, this is the familiar part. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This text helps us to answer the question, why should we even read our Bibles this year? If we said that's what we want to resolve to, that's the goal of this message, why should we even do that? I think, while it sounds like a duh question, like why, why would you even ask that at church? It's a, it's a practical question for us to ask ourselves right now. Why should we read our Bibles this year? Why should we do that? Question for you guys. How fast do you guys that have a phone uh, respond to texts when you get a text? Not fast? You're the same way as me. I, I usually take long to respond to texts. Uh, who's that person that responds like immediately? I have those friends that are like super fast and it's like, it's kind of cool. It's attached to your wrist. Yeah, if you have, if you have an Apple Watch, you're probably that person. Uh, so either you're that person who takes forever or the person who goes really slow. Or who's that friend? I don't know if you'll admit this, but uh, a person who leaves a lot of people on red. <laughs> you take forever. It's your friend, right? So it's like, ah, oh, they won't care. They know, like, I saw their text, and it says right there, hey, red at this, this hour. I think it depends on who you're talking to, right? Just think about it. It depends who I'm talking to. If my, if my parents text me, um, I'm going to respond fast. If your dad's like, hey, get home, 
Like, you're going to be like, yeah, I think I'm going to respond fast. You're not going to be like, ah, whatever, who cares? But if it's your friend and he's like, hey, get home, it's like, what the, what? Well, <laughs> why would I respond to you? Like, who are you? So it depends on who you're talking to. It reminds me of the other day, this past week, uh, I was walking down to my car, uh, going home from the office, and um, Pastor Lucas texts me. And he says, hey, are you here? And if, if you know, Pastor Lucas is someone that I admire a lot. He's my pastor. I, 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 he's someone that I esteem a lot. And so I care a lot about what he says. And he texts me, and he doesn't text me very much. And so I see Pastor Lucas, and I'm like, okay, I got to read this. And it was just, he just said, are you here? But are you still here? But anyways, I was analyzing the question. I was thinking through, what does he want? Like, what? Yes, I'm, I'm like, yes, I'm still here. And then I'm that type of person that, like, overanalyzes my text. So I'm like, I write it, and then, like, I don't actually send it until, like, I read it, like, two or three times. I don't know. I'm, like, super critical of my own. Like, I want to make sure, like, okay, he doesn't think I'm saying this. Anyways, he was just saying if I was here, and he's like, oh, yeah, come up, and we'll talk. And that was it. But anyways, because it was Pastor Lucas, and he's someone important to me, I paid attention to what he was saying. Uh, because he's someone that uh, I admire and esteem, and he's high in who I think he is, um, I, I paid attention to what he was saying. Think about if my friend texted me. I probably wouldn't be like this, the same response. I wouldn't be quick. I wouldn't overanalyze my text, even though sometimes I do. But that's just because I want to make sure I, I say everything correctly. But even more so if it's someone important. It depends on who you're talking to and who talks to you um, uh, on your, your attention span, on how you, um, what you, you do in response to who's, who's talking. It all depends on the person. Glance at verse 16, the first part of it. All scripture, this is the Bible, all of it is breathed out by God. Breathe out. Uh, in the Greek, that's just one word. Breathe out here in our English text is, is two, but uh, Whenever I give you guys Greek words, I say it because it sounds funny, and personally, that's how I remember them. Uh, so maybe this one will, will catch on, and uh, maybe you've heard this. You've heard Pastor Mike say this. The Greek word is theopanoustos, theopanoustos. Theo, what does that mean? God. Panoustos means like wind or breath. Uh, it's from the Greek word uh, pneuma, wind or breath. So God, wind or breath. It's like he's breathing out. That's why in our English text, text we get breathe out by God. In other versions... Uh, it says that it's inspired by God. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, this is a better translation where it says that God is literally almost like breathing out uh, what he has to say on the biblical text. And so what you have in your lap is God's literal uh, breath, his words, theopanoustos. Think about that. That means that God is the author of everything that's in the Bible. That all scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the weird parts in the Bible, it's all of God. God using men to write what he has to say. And so God has spoken. Genesis 1 declares that God is the creator, that he's created every single person here, everyone here in the room. He's the one that's allowing me to move my hands and for you to uh, move your hair right now and to look, put your eyeballs on me right now. God is the one who is allowing you to do that. He's our creator. He's the one who's given us life. And he's also revealed himself to us. He's disclosed who God is, the creator of the universe, in this book. I want you to grasp that. What you have right now in your Bible is what God is showing about himself. This is who God is. Imagine, what if God never talked to us? I mean, God would still be God, but that makes him an even more gracious and good God that he has showed who he is to humanity. What you have in your lap is God's very words, his thoughts on paper. He, maybe you've heard this, that God speaks through his word. And he does. Through what you're reading, God speaks. 
God has given us this divine library of 66 books, not just one, of a bunch of books, where we can read what he's like, what he wants, what he demands of his creatures, of me and you. God is like that. And the way we come at the Bible shouldn't be the same as like, you know, if I read like Percy Jackson or Chronicles of Narnia or Dr. Seuss, like I would read those differently than the Bible. Imagine, uh, those authors are not that special. They're just human. God is not human. He's, it, it, the Trinity is, is God. There is no other God. God is the author of the Bible. By virtue of that being true, that makes what we have in our laps super important. That should just blow our minds to think that this is not like Dr. Seuss. This is not like Diary of a Wimpy Kid. This is not like any other book. This book is unique on a totally different level. So we have to treat it differently. We have to come at it with a different attitude. Because of this, we have to treat God's word with respect. And that's point number one. Treat the Bible with respect. Treat the Bible with respect. We can't treat the Bible with, uh, with apathy. Apathy, that means like to not, uh, carelessness, to not really care about things. Uh, as you open your Bible, you can't just come at it like, eh, whatever. Like it's just, I'm reading these words, but it's like, eh, I don't really care. Because the author, it's God. I want you to think about that. By virtue of him being God, he's given us his word. We should come at it differently. We can't come at it with doubt. As you read in Genesis that God creates the world in six days, you can't doubt and be like, nah, I don't think that's true. Like, really? I mean, you can ponder, wait, how does that even happen? But if we are people who believe in the Bible, we have to say, hey, God is trustworthy. And so whatever he says in his word is true. Did Moses really cross the Red Sea with all those people? Did he really destroy all, those, um, all the Egyptians? Did Jesus really raise from the dead? Those are all valid questions we should ask to strengthen our faith, but we shouldn't ever doubt that God is lying in, in his word. There's another uh, theological term, uh, inerrancy. That means that, hey, there's no errors in the Bible, that the Bible is inerrant. So there's two things. The Bible is inspired. That means what we just read, that it's from God. But the Bible is also inerrant. There's no errors in the scriptures because God is perfect. So what he's given us is perfect. We shouldn't also come at the Bible with, um, with neglect. Um, a lot of old preachers have said, like, um, you just grab your Bible and you're kind of like dusting it off for the first time. <sighs> Taking off the dust. Why is that? Because you don't grab the Bible. You don't read your Bible. Are you someone that reads uh, the Bible when we come to TNN or just on the weekends? That's what I mean. And so think about that. What, how do you treat the Bible with apathy, with neglect, with doubt? Ask yourself that. But we shouldn't come at it like that because of, of what? Because all scripture is breathed out by God. Because of its author. Because God is the author of the Bible. Uh, if you glance at verse 15, in the middle of it, it says that they, uh, he, he's been acquainted with the sacred writings. That Timothy has been acquainted with sacred writings. That word sacred is uh, holy. Holy writings. And so if you have one of our ESV, ESV Bibles that we give out on the back, usually says the Holy Bible. Have you ever seen that? The Holy Bible. That's where that comes from. That's the only time in Scripture where we get that. That's, that means Holy uh, Bible writings. Uh, that's what that means. Bible means uh, to write. Sacred writings. So the Bible is holy. What does holy mean? To be separate, to be uh, apart, to be in this own different category. It reminds us of the Old Testament where God uh, would say that certain things were holy unto him because 
God is holy. These things are set apart for some specific use. The Bible is the same thing. The Bible is a holy book. It is the holy writings because it's different. It's unique. It's not like other books. I'm talking about a response. I want you guys to turn to this passage. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Old Testament, Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. I think this, uh, these verses are going to help us to understand how we should approach our Bibles. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. All right, if you're there, it says, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? So God declaring that he is holy. He's separate. There's no one like him. He's great. Verse 2, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. He's the creator. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one that God pays attention to, his human beings. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Tremble. That means to be afraid, to shake. Imagine, uh, you guys know that passage in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees a vision of God where Isaiah is trembling in God's presence. That's that picture that we should, what, at his word? We should tremble. We should be afraid. We should fear God. That's where that concept comes from. What is it, what, sh- what should we be fearful of? Well, the Bible. It says to be, uh, to tremble at God's word. What is God's word? It, it's the word, the, the Bible right here. That's what I'm saying. It, it's the same concept as Isaiah in the throne room uh, of God. We should have that same feeling as we go to our Bibles. We should tremble at God's word. We have to show respect because God is talking, and it demands our attention. It's, uh, it's like, uh, have any of you guys ever seen those uh, bioluminescent waves uh, at the beach? Yeah, has anyone ever seen those? Yeah, right? Yeah, aren't they cool? I haven't actually seen them. I want to see them, but I, I see them on social media, and I want to go and see them. It's kind of hard to find them. I guess sometimes, like, they're... They're, they're at different places. I know they have tours. Um, they just started doing tours in like Newport Beach, so that's pretty cool. Um, but anyways, if you guys have seen them, you know they're like, they're crazy to look at. It's these waves that are like glowing uh, bright colors, uh, and it's because of these certain algae that, I, that they have in them that make them shine brightly. They're, uh, they're blue. Uh, they're crazy looking. They're pretty cool. Now imagine you're just, imagine you don't know anything about these waves, okay? Um, and you're just walking on the beach, all right? And you see them. What's your response going to be like? I mean, like, wait, what? Like, what is that? That's crazy. That, that's amazing. Like, a wave that is literally glowing. Like, imagine, like, a highlighter, like, like blue. Like, it's like, wait, that's like a highlighter in the water. Like, tons of highlighters. Like, it's like someone threw, like, glow sticks in there. It's crazy looking. That's something that would demand your attention. It reminds me of the other day, too. I was, um, I was driving home. I was about to park. And I'm, you know, just driving normally. And up in the sky, I see this giant uh, lightning streak. It was like, psh, psh, psh. And I'm like, what the, what is that? And I like, I get shocked. I'm like, what the, what is that? And I, I think I might have said that. It's usually what I say. When I'm like, what the, what is that? And I'm like, what the? And then I park and then I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm like, that was crazy. It's like, it's just this giant lightning strike. Have you guys ever seen one like in person where it's like, you get, you get shocked. It's, it's mind blowing to, to just see uh, the uh, amount of energy that's going into that. It's mind blowing. It's spectacular. Something spectacular demands our attention. Something that's crazy demands our attention. It grabs uh, us. It grabs our attention. 
In a greater way, God has spoken to humanity. I wonder if you have that same feeling when you read your Bible. That it grabs your attention. That God is speaking to me. Because that's what it is. Our Bibles. We have to treat it with respect. We also have to treasure it. Uh, listen to Psalm 19, verse 7 through 10. Psalm 19, 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect. So interesting here, the law of the Lord. Where's Psalms in? Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament. So New Testament wasn't written yet. The law of the Lord is talking about the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The law of the Lord is perfect. Listen to, I just, this is interesting. David is uh, talking about the first five books. Usually those boring books that we kind of just glance over. It's so interesting that he has this perspective. Listen to this. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul, so it gives life to you. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. When we're sad, we go to the scriptures to rejoice in the Lord. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen to this. Here's the treasuring part. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, okay? It's like if you have five million bucks, okay? I got them right here in my hand. He's saying, hey, if I got the Bible, I'm gonna give up those five million bucks to get the Bible. The Bible is much more valuable to the psalmist here. Listen to this. Think of your favorite candy. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Or your favorite food. For me, it's steak. Uh, candy, uh, payday, or almond joy for me. He's saying, hey, if you got all the, world, uh, all the world's f- favorite uh, candy that you have or the favorite food that you have, you have everything that there is. He's saying, compare that and you got the Bible. He's saying, Bible. Candy, nah, nah. He's saying, Bible is much more valuable to me. Is that how you come to the Bible with, with that same attitude? Do you treasure and value the scriptures? Do you respect it and do you treasure it as the psalmist does? It's a probing question we should ask. What's our relationship with the Bible? Maybe, if we're honest, maybe there's just no relationship. And that's fine. I mean, you have to admit that first. Maybe there's just no relationship. Maybe you just don't even touch your Bible. And that's, that's, why, we're, that's why you're listening to me, because we're opening the scriptures to help us to think about that. I know maybe, I've heard this before, uh, that the Bible can be boring. That the Bible can be boring. That there's parts that I, you know, maybe I get like the Jesus parts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts I sort of get. Um, maybe there's some that I, uh, I, just, I just don't get at all. You know, the Old Testament books, the weird ones, I, I don't get those. There's boring parts in the Bible. And that's always, that's always uh, something that uh, people say that the, the Bible is boring. That it's just an old book with a bunch of stories of people and like crazy stuff that happens like uh, flies and, and gnats and locusts and like all these plagues and like crazy stuff. Like what is that? Well, what are, let's talk about some of those books, okay? What are some of those books that uh, can be boring? Um, we'll start off with the book of Leviticus. Book of Leviticus. All those rules, you can't eat this, you got to do this, you got to wear this type of clothes, you can't go here, uh, you got to kill a bunch of animals, like all this blood, like there's blood everywhere in this book, like what's going on? God says he's holy. So, is the Bible boring? Let's think about this. Well, the book is all about God's holiness, he tells Israel to do these certain things to show that he himself is holy, to be separate. And so when we read that, we understand, hey, God is holy, I'm not. 
I'm not holy. Also, if you read through the book, you understand that the sacrifices, what do they point to? To atonement. That means to cover your sins. So as you're reading that, you're saying, wait, why did God give all these sacrifices? Well, because the people needed to have their sins atoned, to be covered. The New Testament talks about that, that we also need our sins covered and atoned for. Uh, there's Deuteronomy uh, with the retelling of the law. Moses is about to die, and he's just, he tells him the law again, and it's like, wait, I already read this in other books. Well, uh, at the end of Deuteronomy, it offers you life or death. Moses says, hey, are you going to obey or disobey me? Are you going to follow God, or are you going to not follow God? The Bible's not boring. Judges, where a bunch of people are just doing like the same thing, where God gives them this deliverer, and uh, they sin, and then they do bad, they cry out to God, they sort of repent, and then God gives them another guy, and the guy dies, and another guy, and then it's this cycle, and it's like, wait, what's going on? Why is there a bunch of stories of these random people that are doing all this crazy stuff, and some lady who like uh, stabs another dude in the head, like, what's going on? Like, what is this? What? What I'm saying is there's, there's reasons for stuff in the Bible, all those crazy stories. Judges, what is that about? It shows as you read that, you see there's a bunch of sin, okay? Sin is like one of the main themes. And so you recognize, wait, I'm also sinful. I also have the tendency to want to do what is right in my own eyes, which is the main theme of the book. Judges is not boring. Psalms, where a bunch of people are, sometimes they're happy. Uh, David is like super happy sometimes. Sometimes he's crying. He's like bawling his eyes out. He says, I want to kill myself. I want to die. It's kind of interesting, but it's like, wait, what's going on? Like, come on, bro. Like, chill. Why are you, like, get your emotions in check. The whole point is that Psalms is trying to show us what do we do with all the emotions that we have? How do we respond to God rightly when we're feeling a certain way with situations happening in our lives? That's why we read the book of Psalms. The Psalms are important. They're not boring. Ezekiel, which is one of the craziest ones for me, all these crazy visions of God, uh, these wheels, angels flying around, doing these crazy stuff. It's like, what's going on with all this stuff? Ezekiel is not boring. It's there to point us to a greater kingdom that's coming where the Messiah is going to reign. So every book has a purpose behind it. We have to understand the purpose so that it wouldn't be boring to us. It could be boring if we're reading. It's like, what the? Come on, like, what is this? And you, be, you could be confused. But what I'm saying is if we understand the purpose of books, what are the themes in the books, then we're not going to think the Bible's boring. I want you to listen to this verse in Romans 15. Uh, just listen to what it says. You can write it down. It's interesting, for whatever was written in former days, so it's talking about what was written in the Old Testament, was written for our instruction. Romans, where's that? Old Testament or New Testament? New Testament. Testament. So it's saying what was written in the past, in the Old Testament, was written for our instruction, for me and you, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this this is another reason why the Bible is unique. Think about it. As you're reading Genesis, Exodus, okay, those are uh, books about the Israelites, okay? And it talks about their lives and their stories, right, what's happening in their lives. So why are we reading it? Well, that's what Romans 15, 4 says, that the Bible is there to, it's talking about real people in real time, about people who lived thousands of years ago, but the Bible is unique because that's the only book that we can now look at, read it, try to understand it, and apply it, and also take principles and apply them to our lives. There's no other book that does that. There's no C.S. Lewis book that you read that's like, hey, I'm going to read this, and it was written 2,000 years ago, and uh, it's not just true for those people, but it's also true for me. Because God is an eternal God. He uh, amazingly, wonderfully has planned it so that uh, things would happen to these people. We would learn some stuff from them, and now we'd be able to use it. That's just mind-blowing to think about. 
The Bible is in this other category. It's the holy writings. And also, we just read that, it provides hope. It provides hope. The world needs hope. You need hope. I need hope. Everyone needs hope. Where is that found? In the Bible. In the Bible. Now, let's talk about what the Bible does. Uh, turn back with me to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. We're going to pick up in the second half of verse 15. Because the, the, the point is not really to fill your mind with just a bunch of knowledge, a bunch of facts, okay? Uh, the, the point is not so that you would be able to answer uh, questions in your small group as we ask you, hey, what, what does this text mean? What is the Bible saying here? It's not like to be uh, the best one in Bible trivia, to get the Timothy Award. It's not about that. It's not like um, this old show that I used to watch, Jimmy Neutron. You guys know Jimmy Neutron? What is Jimmy Neutron? Like, why is he, why is he different than other boys? He's got a big head. Right? He's got a big head. Jimmy Neutron's got a big head. He's got a big head. We are not supposed to be like Jimmy Neutron with the Bible. All right? The point is that we should have a big head, but where does the big head go? It's got to transform our hearts, and then that's got to be expressed in our lives. We do have to have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but that can't stay there. The Bible has to transform our hearts so that we can express that in our lives. So be like a Jimmy Neutron, but use that knowledge to do something about it. Use it. Now, okay, let's start in verse 15, the second half. It says, um, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So right Timothy, he's saying, hey, this is how you became a Christian, by the Bible. So we need God's word because, think about it, that's the only way we're gonna be transformed and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's point number two. I want you guys to experience that. Experience God's transformative power in the Bible. Experience God's transformative power in the Bible. So here, uh, from verses 15 to 17, we see five ways the Bible changes uh, and transforms us. The first one is seen in the verse we just read. That the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so, as you read the Bible, you see your need for Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. You see your need to be saved. You see your need for someone else to be your boss as you read the Bible. And that's, um, that's sub-point A, uh, seeing your need for Christ. How does the Bible transform you? Sub-point A, seeing your need for Christ. Now, how does it do that? If you think about it, like we said earlier, New Testament, maybe a little easier to, to comprehend. Uh, Jesus walking around doing stuff, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, so I understand maybe how Jesus can... Uh, how God can transform me as I read about Jesus in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels and Paul's letters where they're just very direct, like, don't sin, do this. Okay, I understand that. But what about the hard parts, which is the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament? Where do I see Christ and where do I see my need in the Old Testament? Well, let's do a case study. Let's start off with uh, Genesis. The book we're reading in the DBR, if you're doing the DBR with us, in Genesis. So if you're doing it, this will be helpful because... We were just in it, so you, you remember this stuff. Chapter 3, what's Genesis chapter 3 all about? Where the fall, right? Yes, uh, the fall. So it, sin enters the world. Adam and Eve, uh, they fall short of God's glory. As you read that, we're talking about seeing our need for Christ. What should you respond like? Wait, I also fall short of God's glory. I'm also like Adam and Eve. I also need saving. I also need Genesis 3.15 
for this guy to come and deliver me. I need saving also. Genesis 4, what happens there? Two characters, Cain and Abel. What's the sin there? Where Cain is envying, uh, he's jealous of Abel. Maybe you're reading that and it's like, wait, I'm also envious. I'm like Cain. I maybe haven't wanted to to kill someone, but I have uh, sin in my heart where I'm jealous of someone. I'm like Cain. Or uh, maybe as you're reading that, where God says, hey, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Wait, I feel like that in temptation. Where I feel like that. I I feel like I, I, I don't know where to go. That's what I'm saying. As you read Genesis 4, you're identifying with the characters. Genesis 6, 6, 5 says that uh, our hearts are uh, continually evil, that we're wicked. What's Genesis 6 about? The flood. Noah and the flood, where God's wrath is displayed in the flood, where he says, hey, I'm going to kill all humanity. I'm going to save some, but I'm going to display my wrath. Genesis 6, 5, you read that and you say, wait, I also have that heart. I also have sinful tendencies. I'm also uh, wicked before God. As you read that, you are identifying with them. In the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, where uh, Abraham is told to sacrifice his son Isaac. As you read that, it might be a little weird. I mean, it is weird. It's like, wait, you got to kill your own son. But what happens? Isaac doesn't get killed. A substitute comes in. A ram in that case comes in and, and dies instead of Isaac. As you read that, you think, wait, God is a just God. He's a holy God. I just read Genesis 6-5. It says that, I'm sinful before God. I just saw that he killed uh, humanity in the flood. And you read Genesis 22, and it's like, wait, I also should be killed like Isaac. So how can I get saved? You know your New Testament. You know that Jesus comes, uh, behold the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist says. And you recognize, hey, although Jesus is not a ram like in that passage, he is a lamb. And he could stand in your place. You also need a substitute. And so you read Genesis 22, and you recognize, wait, I need to be like Isaac. I was supposed to get killed, but Jesus comes in my place. I also need an atonement, someone to pay for my sins. You recognize your need for Christ, but we need to be looking out for that. This is so interesting in uh, Genesis 22 in that passage. Watch, I just want to show you guys that it is talking about Jesus. It says, verse 14, So Abraham called the name of that place, so this is on the place where he's going to sacrifice Isaac, Uh, the Lord will provide. What did God provide in that case? Well, a substitute for Isaac so that he wouldn't die. As it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Fun fact, Jesus died on that same mountain. So, who's the it? Who would be the one who would actually take away the sins of the world? Jesus. What I'm saying is Jesus is found in Genesis 22. Jesus is not only found in the New Testament. Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. We We have to look for him. He's not in every passage, but we need to look for him. And I'm saying the it right there is Jesus. And so that's why I always recommend if you have an ESV study Bible, which a lot of you do, look at the study notes on the bottom. That would help you recognize that. Sometimes it is hard. It's like you're not going to make that connection maybe. But if you look at cross-references and if you look at the study notes on your, on your Bible, you'll see, wait, that's about Jesus. That's pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament points to the Messiah, to the Savior. And so as you're reading your Old Testament, look for Jesus. Where is he? Where is he? Christian and non-Christian, you both need Christ. If you're a Christian, why do we need um, to see our need for Christ? Think about it. I mean, I'm already, I already repented. I already put my trust in Jesus. Well, if you recognize your need for Christ more and more every day as you read the Bible, if you are a Christian, 
what's that going to do to you? You're going to be like Psalm 19, not about the Bible, but about Jesus. You're going to want to treasure Jesus more as you see your need and you're thankful for God saving you. If you're not a Christian, well, you need the Bible even more. Because where do you find the gospel? Not in your own thoughts, not in your feelings, but in the Bible. And so it's, it's, everyone's covered. If you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, we all need the Bible. We all need the Bible. We need to see our need for Christ. The second thing is found where, um, the, the second way that God changes us through the Bible, we said that that's, the first one was to make us wise for salvation, to know about the gospel, to see our need for Christ. The second one is found in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. That means useful for this, for teaching, for teaching. So the Bible teaches us. How does it transform us? Subpoint B, learning what is true. Learning what is true. John 17, uh, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify. That's the same word uh, as uh, sacred. What did I say sacred means? Holy. So... Jesus says, make them holy in the truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth. So how do you be holy? Well, through the Bible. And that's through truth. As God teaches you in the Bible. Uh, does anyone know our church theme verse? Does anyone know the reference? Did, did anyone not even know like we have one? You guys all knew? Okay. Does anyone know it? It's Psalm 43, 3. Psalm 43, 3. Listen to this. This is why we're called Compass Bible Church. Ready? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Send out your light and your truth. That's why we're called Compass Bible Church. Because uh, this uh, psalm, this verse is talking about uh, the, uh, the Bible is like a compass for us. That it guides us and leads us to, uh, to live a godly way. The Bible is the way we do that. The Bible is our compass. God's truth changes uh, the way we think. It transforms uh, the way we think about stuff. This is related to a term that I want you guys to know, and I don't know if you've heard about. It's called uh, worldview. Has anyone heard of the term worldview before? Some of you? Okay. Worldview. What is that? Think about, like, uh, glasses. Some of you guys wear glasses. Glasses or lenses. Worldview, the way I like to explain it, is like lenses through which you see the world. Depending on how, what you have, you're going to see the world differently. Um, it, it's, um, it, yeah, it's the way you see the world, the lenses through which you see the world. Everything that you see, you are understanding and applying it through these glasses, through this worldview. So depending on what you have uh, is, is going to be how you respond. Now, what, like, what's the information we're putting into our worldview? Well, that could be anything, really. What I'm saying right now and what God says in the word is that your worldview, the way in which you see the world, must come from the Bible. Why? Because God is true. He's, he provides truth to us. The, the word of God must inform our worldview. Let me just give you an example. Okay? Uh, when someone passes away in your life, maybe a loved one, or maybe a friend, your worldview, depending on how you see the world, that's how you're going to respond to situations. Okay? If you ask, why do people die? Well, if you have a biblical worldview, if it's from the Bible, you understand, wait, there's sin in the world. Genesis 3 says that uh, uh, humanity has fallen, that everyone's sinful. And so uh, uh, death is a consequence of sin. It's the result of sin. You recognize that we don't live in a perfect world. That's why people get sick. That's why uh, when people get cancer and your cells are attacking you, 
It's like, wait, why, is, why do people die? Why does that happen? It's so sad, and it is sad, but it's because we live in a broken world. You understand your worldview provides you, wait, everything here is not right, and I know why. I know exactly why things are going wrong. As you hear the news, as maybe your parents tell you of some bad news that just happened, you recognize, wait, I know why things happen, because we live in a broken world, and it doesn't work the way it should work. But your worldview also provides you, if it's from the Bible, if you have a biblical worldview, that this world is not everything there is. This life is not everything there is. That there's one coming that's much better than this. And so you have hope in the next. That's what I'm saying. It starts with truth, Bible, that creates your worldview, and that shows in how you live. That's why when someone passes away, you understand, I know why that happened. I'm not going to be like, oh, look what happened. You know exactly why that happened. Because it's in the Bible and it tells you why things happen. That's your worldview. I want your guys' worldview here in the narrow to be from the Bible. God wants that. Our worldview can't be shaped by our feelings or by, by the world, by other people. It's got to come from the Bible, not by what we think. Because we're not, we're not smart. God is smart. And it's in the Bible. The Bible is the ultimate source of instruction for our life. A third way the Bible transforms us, it's, um, we just looked at teaching. It's also for reproof. Reproof. Probably haven't used that word recently. Reproof. I'm going to reproof you. I'm going to reprove you. Reproof means to show someone they're wrong, to show your error. Really, it's to show sin, to expose sin, to tell someone, hey, you're sinning. And that's the third thing. Subpoint C, it's getting shown your sin. How does the Bible transform you? Getting shown your sin. James uh, 1, 22 to 25, the Bible is described as a mirror where as you read it, uh, you see your reflection and you see, hey, I'm sinful. It's, it exposes who you are. Listen to this, James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Okay, you're looking at the mirror. What does he do? For he looks at himself and goes away and at once he forgets what he's like. Imagine you got like, I don't know, you got, you're eating pasta and you got like pasta sauce on your mouth and then you look at the mirror, and it's like, all right, I have, I'm, going out, I'm going to church after this. You look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, I got pasta sauce. That's pretty gross. All right, it's time to go. And, like, you leave, and you have the pasta sauce on your face, and you pull up to the narrow, and it's like, hey, dude, what do you got on your face, bro? That's gross. And you have a bunch of pasta sauce on your face. The Bible says that's the same way. If we come to the Bible, it's a mirror, and we don't do what it says. It's the same way. We're walking around with pasta sauce on our face. It's saying, hey, you just looked at it. Here's the, the one who actually does and obeys the word. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, this is the Bible, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You recognize you're, you fall short of God's perfect holy standard. As you're reading your Old Testament, you recognize and you identify these, uh, these characters. You're like Moses where you're afraid to, uh, to speak up for God. You're not bold. Uh, you're uh, like Joshua, and you're told to do something for God, but you're young, and you're scared, and God says, hey, be strong and courageous. You identify, wait, that's for me too. I need to be strong and courageous at school. Or I'm like Peter. Oh, you have little faith. I'm like Peter. I doubt God. You recognize these characters, and you're like, wait, I'm like them. That's what I'm saying. That's a good thing. The Bible is there so that we would take that and be like, wait, so then what can I do instead? It exposes who, who we are. It's you have to look out, where's this talking about me? Am I like this person? Is Jesus talking about me here? In Matthew 7, where it says that uh, 
there's two, uh, two ways. Am I on this way or am I on this way? Ask yourself the question, is it talking about me? Uh, do you guys know what a katana is? A katana? What's a katana? Right? Yeah, a sword. It's a, it's a sword uh, that's used for martial arts. Um, do you guys know who has a katana here in the narrow? Who? Shout it out. Let's see if you guys can get it. Miss Candy. Yeah, Miss Candy has a katana. You have a katana too? Cool. Nice. Sweet. Even cooler. These are my small groups. Sweet. Awesome. We'll talk about that after. So sweet. Katana. Yes. Miss Candy has a katana uh, in her office, actually. So whenever I walk into her office, uh, it's kind of intimidating. It's kind of sketch. She has a katana right there on a stand. Uh, why am I talking about a katana? Well, <laughs> it reminds me of another verse that you guys know this one. If you guys were in Edge, it's the Edge theme verse. In Hebrews 4, uh, verse 12 to 13. Listen to this. Where it describes the Bible as a sword that cuts into you, and it gets in there, and it's like, watch. For the word of God is living and active. Maybe you've glanced over this part before. Why is that even there? For the word of God is living and active. When you read your Bible, has anyone ever gotten convicted of sin? I have. Where it's like, whoa, wait. it says that I'm lying. I'm lying. That, that's about me. It says that I'm doing these things. That's about me. It says that I was hateful to someone else. That's about me. That's what it is. God is living. And so that's why his words are also living and active. It cuts into us. Listen, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why when it's like, wait, I just read that. No one else knows about this. Because God is living and active. He knows even your, your, your thoughts. Here's a scary verse. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. One day we're all going to stand before God. How are we going to get ready for that? The Bible. Although we might not want to like, get exposed for our sin, and we want, we don't, I mean, conviction doesn't feel very good. It doesn't feel good. But the Bible says that's a good thing. You have to feel that first because that's how change begins. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've read my Bible and I feel terrible. It's like, wait, that's, that's talking about me right there, right there, right there, right there, right there, right there. All right, I feel terrible. Like, this is horrible. I feel like David, where he's in his sin. And what do I do? Well, the Bible's good because it doesn't leave us there. It also corrects our behavior. It tells us, we're wrong. You're wrong, Jose. But do this instead. The Bible doesn't leave us but just like, no, 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 no. It says, do this, do this. This is the good thing. The Bible is also good, and it tells us what to do. You can just write this down. Ephesians 4, verse 25 through 29. Ephesians 4, 25 through 29. That's where it says that if you're a liar, hey, admit it and tell the truth. If you're someone who steals, admit it and uh, work hard. If you're someone who uses your words for harm, well, confess that and use them for good. So the Bible doesn't ever leave you with just like feel bad and then don't do anything about it. It says, hey, do this instead. And that moves us into the fourth thing, how the Bible changes us where it says that we are tr uh, training in righteousness. It trains you in righteousness. Uh, Subpoint D, it's, uh, the Bible transforms us by being directed to live a godly life. Being directed to live a godly life. Psalm 1, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, uh, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed, that means happy, okay? Listen to this. The one who's following God, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. If you want to walk righteously and live godly, it says right here, you have to delight 
in the Bible. You have to be in the Bible, first of all. And so that's why the Bible is so essential. We have to start there. Verse 3 to 6 says that you're like a tree planted by streams of water, that you're rooted in this tree where uh, God is the tree, and you're getting your roots uh, from there. You're in, in there. You're abiding with Christ. That means to be close to God, to remain. And then what comes after that? You live righteously. So the Bible, it starts with that. If we're in the Bible, we're going to live righteously. It's going to come out. Our words, our actions, it has a direct correlation on how we live. Just write down Psalm 119. You've heard this before. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Imagine you're somewhere dark. You're in the woods. What do you need to be able to see? You need a lamp, a flashlight, right? Something. Or else you're going to fall and trip and faceplant. You need something to guide you. The Bible is like that. It's like a guide for life. The last way God's word transforms you is in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible transforms you, subpoint E, by getting you ready to work for God. Getting you ready to work for God. Now this is the idea of getting prepared to, uh, to go out and do something. It's like uh, some of you guys do sports here. Or maybe you do basketball, soccer, um, whatever it is. Uh, you, what do you do for a game? You got to prepare, right? You got to practice. You got to get your reps in and then comes game day and you're ready to go. Maybe you're uh, doing a recital. Maybe you're doing an audition. What do you have to do to get ready for those things? Well, you have to prepare. And then comes recital day and it's like, all right, let's go. I'm ready to sing. I'm ready to act. Let's go. That's what this verse is talking about. The Bible prepares you uh, for good works, to do good things for God. It prepares you to do your best. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. Once you are saved, you are now God's. And you're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God saves you if you're a Christian so that you would do these good works for him. You would do good things for him. You would represent him. You'd be faithful to him. You'd be good influence on other people. So if you're a Christian, God has good works in store for you right now to walk in them, to do them. Maybe that's inviting uh, your non-Christian friend to TNN. Uh, maybe that's just uh, telling uh, your, your friend the gospel about Jesus. Those are good works. Everyone also here has to do good works. We all have uh, a life ahead of us. If that's God's plan. Some of you are going to be doctors. Some of you are going to be lawyers, um, nurses, teachers. You don't know that. I mean, no one knows that except God. We can plan for that stuff. What I'm saying is that God, and wherever he's going to take you, maybe you're going to work at Walmart, Target, the gas station, I don't know, 7-Eleven. Like, it doesn't really matter. What I'm saying is God says there's good things for you to do for me. The Bible is how we are going to get prepared for that, how we're going to get ready to do that. Think about it like sports, to, to get ready to go and be faithful to God, to represent him. At this point, you're probably like, okay, I mean, we're talking about the Bible. I get it, dude. Like, Bible, Bible, read it. Okay, I get it. Which, this leads us into our last point. We need to make a commitment to do that. Point number three, make a commitment to read, uh, make a commitment, commit, commit yourself to the Bible. We need to make a commitment to read our Bibles. That's exactly what uh, Paul tells Timothy in verse 14, where it says continue, continue. That means to remain, to stay, to be like grounded on something. That's the same for us. We need to continue uh, to keep going in the Bible. Don't let go of the Bible. Now, I've been in those chairs before in a sermon like this where it's like, okay, read your Bible. Read your Bible. I get it. 
And personally, I've gotten pumped before. And it's like, let's go. Like, I'm trying to read my Bible. I got it. I know what you're saying, Jose. I'm going to read my Bible. Let's do it. Usually what happens is that the excitement just kind of wanes after a couple days. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, all right, small group leader, I'm going to do it. I'm going to read my Bible. And then a couple days go by, and it's like, wait, what happened? Like, this is getting really hard. You start recognizing, wait, this is actually pretty hard. And maybe we start saying uh, excuses like this, where maybe this is you right now. I don't have enough time. I always forget to read. I just get too distracted. I try to un- uh, read, but I just don't understand. Um, I've missed too many days. Um, maybe you're someone who tries to read before school. And you say, yeah, Jose, I'm going to read it before school. And then it comes a couple days, and it's getting really hard. Like, you're waking up early. Like, you're tired. Yes, it is hard. It is hard. Bible reading is difficult, especially if we're going to commit to do this every day. Don't ever think that it's going to be easy, and that's not what I'm saying. Listen to this proverb. This is uh, a proverb I go back to when I think that my Bible reading should be easy. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, watch, listen to the verbs here. If you seek it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The Bible, there's treasure in it. You as a treasure hunter have to look for it in the Bible. It's not just gonna be like, like right here, Jose, look at me, like this is what you need to apply today. Like you need to look for it. That's why Bible reading is going to be difficult this year. But don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. But in order to not give up, we need to make a plan. We need to make a plan. And so if you guys turn uh, your sheet uh, to the other side, I gave you guys some questions uh, to be able to help you make a plan. And the goal is I want you guys to honestly answer these uh, and be ready to come and discuss them with your small group on Wednesday. These are some questions um, they're going to help us to make a strategic plan, and I want it to be specific to you. Right? You're not the same as me, uh, where I have this time to read my Bible, and you have this time. Every person's different. It'd be, make it personal and tailored to you. Know your own like, uh, excuses. Know your own excuses. Know when you're not going to read your Bible. Right? Maybe don't read it like right before you're going to go to bed, because I've been there, and it's like, <sighs> I wake up, and it's like the Bible's right on me. You know, be smart. And so we'll talk about that in small groups. And finally, it's like, okay, I'm going to read it. I got it. I'm going to read it tomorrow morning. But as you open your Bible, what are you going to do in the Bible? Well, I also gave you guys some other questions uh, that are going to help your uh, Bible meditation. We Meditate. We found that word in Psalm 1. That means to think over. Application is not going to come if we don't meditate first, if we don't actually think about it. If we don't think about what we're reading, we're not going to be able to be doers of the word. And so I gave you guys some questions to help you as you read your Bible, as well as the DBR journal. DBR journal is just like what you understood from it. Uh, But the questions are just personal so that you guys could uh, understand what you're reading more. So hopefully um, the goal has been, and hopefully it's been accomplished, that you've seen that God has spoken through the Bible. Okay, we've understood that. Also that the Bible, as you give yourself to it, it changes you. And also, if you honestly answer these questions, you'll have a plan and know what to do. And so, my prayer is that everyone here in the narrow would this year, in 2024, look at the book.
Pray with me. God, yes, you have spoken and you've given us how to live um, in the Bible. You've given us the Bible to uh, know truth, to know you as Jesus says that he is uh, the truth. We want to know you more and we want to grow. Help us uh, to make a plan and that we'd stick to that plan. I just pray for your grace to enable us to do that. And may you show us good and great things in your word. I pray for this excitement to now be uh, moved into uh, dedication and discipline. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.